Isn't it great just to worship God and to know his presence so powerfully amongst us? I'll say that again. (laughs) Amen. I just uh, have such an expectation of the presence of God at the moment. And we just had a fantastic Thursday night meeting where we didn't do anything we planned to do because just the presence of God was so powerful it just seemed like a mistake to do anything other than just worship God. And we just had a, a wonderful night on Thursday at our family night, not discussing anything we were meant to discuss, uh, but just worshipping God. So I just want us to be expectant as we come together of God just coming and healing people. I really believe that that's something that God is going to do increasingly amongst us. And I really enjoyed serving Sunday last week. Wasn't it fantastic if you were there? I, I mean, it, I was just bowled over with some of our leader, our servant leaders and some of their passion that came through. It was just absolutely wonderful. Somebody spoke to me after serving Sunday, after the service, and said it was so inspiring that they had to hold themselves back from signing up for every team because they just felt so inspired by the guys talking about their different areas of service. And that's how it should be. You know, serving should be a joy for us. It should be a joy for us. So I was so inspired, actually, that as I was praying this week, I just felt God wanted me to talk some more about serving. I think it's a really important area for us at the moment. Last week I talked about what is serving. And uh, I said it's not just a list of jobs, but it's about being like Jesus. Just that amazing example that Jesus is to us. He says this incredible thing that he came to serve and not to be served. I still can't get my head around that. Why Jesus, the Son of God, would come to earth in that way. And I said the serving is about an attitude. It's not just the jobs that we do on Sunday or any other time of the week, actually. It's an attitude to life. Serving is an attitude to life, which we get to practice here at church. We get to practice it with one another. Uh, but it's an attitude that should pervade our whole lives. But there's a third one, which I just touched on last week, but I want to come back to today. And it kind of sums up all the others And it's this, that serving is about serving God. Ultimately, serving is worship. It's worshipping God. It's not primarily about serving people, although Jesus rather sneakily slips it in and says, when we do things for the least of our brothers, and we think we're doing it for people, he says, you're doing it for me. So whatever way you look at it, you're serving God ultimately. That's what Christian serving, biblical serving is about. So to talk about this, I want to use a story that I found uh, uh, that uh, is found at the beginning of Genesis about two brothers, and the clue is in the name of the title today, able to serve. Who noticed the spelling mistake? Very good. Some teachers here. That's right. It was deliberate, able to serve, and uh, they're at the beginning of the New Test in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter four. Cain and Abel, who were serving God alongside one another, and one, if you remember, was commended by God for his service, and the other was not. And so, I want to talk about that. And I'm not going to read the story to you. I'm going to retell it. 
I'm going to retell it and I'm going to use some imagination to do that. Sometimes uh, when we're very familiar with a story, it just helps us to step outside the box a bit and look at it afresh. So I want to do that. I want to tell you a story. So are you sitting comfortably? Okay, then I'll begin. So here we have Cain and Abel, two brothers, two of the first brothers that ever lived, who perhaps they just finished their work for the day. We don't know. And they're going off to make their offering to God, which is the most succinct definition of serving that there is anyway, an offering to God. And it's all quite normal and homely at this point. Maybe their mood is light. They're sort of ambling along in the sun. And uh, Cain, they're chatting about things that they've been doing. And Cain has just discovered a new kind of fruit in the garden. It's just this wonderful fruit that he's discovered. And uh, so they, they, they call them raspberry canes. In the end, these raspberry canes produce these wonderful fruits. And Abel's just found out that one of the ewes is pregnant. This is meant to be humorous. It's okay. So, uh, one of the ewes, one of the ewes is pregnant, and then they come to the place of offering. And Cain is the oldest, and so he goes first, offering up his gifts. And the Bible describes them as fruits of the soil, a few vegetables perhaps, and some of this new fruit that he's picked. It doesn't take long. He lays it down. He stops for a moment as if in thought and then he steps back. And then it's Abel's turn. So Abel steps forward and he's brought a lamb. And not just any lamb either, it's one of his firstborns. And this lamb, he's the fattest and the best of them all. And he kneels before the altar and he takes his time. He just thinks about the hours he's spent over this lamb. The cost of this sacrifice. The first-born lamb that he's raised himself, he's fed her up until she became the best and the fattest of the flock. And soberly, he takes up his knife and he kills the lamb. Maybe there's a tear or two in his eye as he does this, and blood flows down over the altar as he lays it down, and then through the mist, midst of his tears, it happens. Something happens. Something different. It's not happened like this before. We, we don't know exactly what happens. Maybe fire comes down out of heaven and consumes the offering while it's there on the altar. Or perhaps it's something that God says, or a change in the atmosphere. Maybe they even get to see the look on God's face. We don't know. But Cain and Abel knew God looked with favor on one brother and his offering, but on the other one he did not. And here's the verse I want us to focus on today, which is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. And it says this, that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Abel gained God's favor, and Cain didn't. One was good, and the other was better. Why? I don't know, perhaps you've wondered the same thing. Why is it that that brother's service seems to be more acceptable than another's? That brother's service seems to be more favored, more successful, or even that church, 
that church down the road. Why? Why is it more successful than this one or that one? Cain looked at Abel and his offering. He looked at Cain and his offering. And what he saw, something of what God saw, determined his favor. First, then God looked at the man. And what he saw when he looked at Abel, according to the first book of Hebrews, is faith. When he looked at Abel, he saw faith. It says that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain said, than Cain did. Hebrews 11, chapter 4, verse 4. It was Abel's faith that made the difference. It wasn't his gift. It wasn't his holiness. It wasn't his commitment to the job. It wasn't wealth or any other particular attribute. It was his faith. And it's amazing how much easier, I don't know if you found this, it is to serve God in a particular area when you've got faith for it. How much more strength you have, how much more uh, peace you have, how much more ability to endure. It's amazing what you will go through if you know that you've got faith for it. You can feel it, it's tangible, it's a strength that's there. And then there comes a point sometimes where the faith runs out and you know it's time to move on or do something different. It's amazing how much more strength you have when there's faith there. And that's just from our perspective. We feel the effect of faith, serving in faith. But from God's perspective, according to Hebrews, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Did you realize this, that no matter how hard or how long or diligently you serve, it's impossible, impossible. That's a pretty strong word. It's impossible to please God unless you are serving him in faith. God's pleasure, then, is only possible where faith exists. And this is because there's nothing inherently good in us as human beings. None of ourselves that is worth anything. There's no sacrifice that we can make. There's no amount of good works that we can do that will help us to gain any favor with God. That's why the Bible says that we have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if we're going to be saved. We need to believe on him. There needs to be faith right at the beginning. That's how the relationship with God starts. But it also continues. We're saved by faith, but we're also kept by faith. We can only ever come to God on the grounds of faith. And until heaven, or the return of Jesus, whichever's the sooner, we will have to continue to keep coming to God in faith. Did you realize that? It's not just about getting saved. It's about living your life by faith. And it's amazing how quickly we can forget this and we can get saved by faith, but then try and work our way into God's favor. Paul said to the Galatians, you're foolish for this. To think that you can start that way and then go into something completely different, trying to earn your salvation. But this is serving in the way of Cain and not Abel. You see, when God looked at Abel, he saw faith. But when he saw Cain, he saw works. See, Cain didn't come on the basis of faith, but of works. 
His offering was the fruit of his own hard labor taken from the ground, which if you remember from the previous chapter in chapter 3 had been cursed by God. So Cain was getting stuff out of the ground to give to God out of a curse that he had, that God had already placed on that ground. And so Cain's service was the result of his own efforts. Maybe it even came out of a sense of duty, obtained out of sheer hard work and determination. And you know, Cain and people like Cain know all about hard work, don't they? Know about hard work. Has there ever been hard work? We know about hard work. Something's just so hard. When God favoured Abel over Cain, it says that he was very angry. Cain was very angry. Frustration and disappointment can lead to this. Plugging away at something for so many years, digging, scraping, hoeing, trying to scratch something out of nothing. And he'd worked so hard. God, didn't you see all the hard work, all the years I put into this? Only for his younger brother to sort of drift in off the fields, bringing this lamb and gain the favor of God that was rightfully his in his mind. He felt this is what he deserved. I deserved God's favor. Why didn't it work for me? But that's what work does, you see. When you work, you're owed a debt. You're owed your salary. Or you're owed the favor of God or the the praise of man. You're owed something because you've worked and you deserve a reward. Just shows that Cain, it was all about work. It was all about work for him. And the jealousy of Cain, which arose from that anger despite God's warning, led to him killing his brother, killing him. And in the end, work always leads to the death of something or someone. Probably you, (laughs) your ministry, or someone else's. We can only serve God by faith. So does this mean then that we shouldn't serve perhaps in an area that we don't have faith for? I've heard that a few times. No. (laughs) No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you don't serve. It does mean that you need to get faith for that area that you're serving in. You know, people can make such a meal out of this one, um, waiting for an angel to come maybe. Yeah, I'll serve when an angel comes, and uh, or uh, I'll serve when... I get a vision or maybe a special calling. That's what I need to serve, to do anything, really. Um, I'm just waiting, just waiting. And this may come, actually, for unusual callings, for special callings. There are lots of examples from the Bible. There's lots of examples from different people's lives of amazing callings from God. But faith comes by hearing the word of God. It comes 
from a conviction about what God is saying and doing in the world and our part in it. We don't have to be called into everything specifically, but we need to recognize the the calling of God generally on our lives to have faith, to recognize it generally. You know, we are all called to serve. And sometimes this means to serve for a period of time another person's calling. Have you ever thought about that? That that might be something God has called you to, to serve another person's calling or a ministry, and simply recognizing that is so releasing. Ah, that's why I'm here. That's what I'm meant to be doing at the moment. I need to be serving them and releasing them so that they can do that. Des spoke last week, and because he's not here, I can talk about him. Uh, and he said, you know, why he took on the role of Sunday morning manager here in the church, which is a difficult role, actually. It's a very responsible role. Uh, why he took it on is because he saw Steve and I running around week after week, doing everything, and he didn't want that to continue. He didn't think it was right or fair. And he felt, he said, I want to serve you. I want to serve you in that way. And I think he said last week, I'm not particularly very good at it, which I don't agree with at all. He's absolutely brilliant at it. But he says, it's not my main gift. But he felt God speak to him. He felt a conviction in his heart. I need to do this to serve those guys, to release them. He's called to serve us at this time. And we feel very privileged by that and others as well. We're all called to serve. Or you might say, for example, one of the reasons I'm doing this is because I believe in the calling that this church has in this community. That's why I'm doing this. Even though it might be, it might not necessarily be something that you particularly feel gifted or skilled at. There's a need there. You believe in the vision of the church and what God's going to do, so I'm going to just get in there and serve because I'm called to serve. That's where your faith comes from. Just a couple of examples. So when God looks at you and your life, are you able to serve or is there still a bit of Cain about you? Are you living by faith? Are you living by faith? So many people I talk to are waiting for this thunderbolt from heaven to come, this this magic calling that's going to come one day, and they're just waiting for it to come. And in the meantime, they're waiting. And they don't see that right in front of them is the opportunity of their lives to serve to get stuck in, to get involved. It might be in your workplace. It might be in the church. It might be in your family life. But it's right there in front of you. So many of us can live with that sense of something in the future that's just out there. It's a little bit intangible, but I know I'm going there. And so you waste all this time and all these years of learning, serving, until that point arises. And surprise, surprise, it's very rare that that point arises until you've done the other stuff before. God's training program is so often you serve in the small things and show yourself faithful in the small things so that then he can take you to the big things, the the ultimate plan for your life that you know is there. And so many people are disillusioned later on in life because they've never done the small things in the beginning. I just felt that was important to say 
for some people today. What is right in front of you? Serve. Get stuck in. Give your life to it and see what God does. Don't be afraid of a dead-end job because God is going to open something wonderful up for you when you just serve with what he's given you to do today. So are you living by faith? Look at your life again. Look at it again. See what God has put in front of you. See where you are and say, right, I am going to choose today to believe God for my life, where I am now and what I'm doing now. Stop straining ahead and believe God for what is in front of you. Repent of works. Repent of works and serve God by faith. Get faith for your life and the service that is right in front of you. Amen? But it wasn't just about the man. God didn't just look at the man. It says that he looked at the gifts that they brought. It says in verse 4 again, God looked with favor upon Abel and his offering. God looked on Cain and his offering. So let me ask you this. What gifts do you bring? What gifts do you bring to God? What gifts have you been given by God to serve with today? And this is a kind of a side, really, but I just felt a sort of prophetic warning, uh, and I don't say that just to make it sound more serious and spiritual. <laughs> I genuinely mean a prophetic warning for some uh, that, with, you know, that without a shadow of a doubt, the Bible is very clear that each of us will have to give an account for the way that we have used or not used the gifts that God has given us. Very clear. And I just felt like there was a warning from the Holy Spirit. And this is not meant to be a manipulation for you need to serve more at church. That isn't the point as far as I'm concerned. The point is that God has gifted so many of us with so many gifts. And the parable of the talents, which is one of the clearest parables in this whole thing, is very clear that one day we will have to stand before God and give an account of what we've done with our gifts. So what gifts... Did you, do you have? What gifts do you bring? Well, the, the gifts that Cain and Abel brought were vegetables or best lamb. Vegetables or best lamb. I don't know. I mean, you can't help noticing the difference in the type and the quality of the gifts that they brought. One was vegetables. The other was best lamb. Vegetables or best lamb. I know which one I would prefer. Okay. It would be the best lamb every time. But assuming that it's not God's eating habits that are in question here, what was the problem, what was God's problem with Cain's vegetables? I mean, some people like vegetables. Now, what's the problem with them? Well, there was a very different sense of quality about them, first of all. Quality. So quality Cain style. It says in verse 3 of chapter 4 about the way that Cain gathered his vegetables. It says, in the course of time, as time passed, as it came to that time again, 
Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So there is no evidence in this description that Cain took any of his prized vegetables, that there was anything particularly special of them. There's no evidence that these were the best of the harvest or the first fruits as an offering that's mentioned throughout the, the Old Testament. The first fruits are very important. There's no, no evidence of that at all. These are just some of the fruits of the soil. Well, if you think about it, following the curse, that could be a bunch of weeds, couldn't it? Some of the fruits of the soil, he just, one day, as time passed, he grabbed some of them and then went on his way to make an offering to God. Cain, it seems, doesn't dig deep for this. He comes up with the minimum that was expected of him. Cain, it seems, merely discharges a duty or goes through the motions. Now, I'm not the best gift buyer, I've got to say. And we've all done this to some degree, okay? But it's a bit like the difference between getting some flowers for your wife at the garage after you've filled up with fuel because you're feeling bad about it, because she hasn't had any for a bit now, or going to the florist and making a special trip, making sure that it's all the flowers that you know she really loves and really going to town on it. It's like the difference between those two things. Or it's a bit like the difference between giving your friend a birthday card that you just happen to have in the drawer left over from something or other, or the stock that you keep there. Anybody? Or making a special trip into town and finding the perfect birthday card that just suits their personality, it suits their temperament, and it just says something to them. It's like the difference between those two. Or it's like the difference uh, between inviting your friends around for a meal and just grabbing something out of the freezer because you haven't thought about what you're going to cook. Or actually finding out what your friend's favorite food is and then spending some time preparing that food for them because you know that it will delight them. Doing the minimum. Doing the minimum, not inconveniencing yourself, not putting yourself out. The contrast between Cain and Abel, quality Cain style, I know who I'd rather have in my life group. Abel goes out of his way to please God and chooses the first and the best of the flock. Abel says in verse 4, this is quality Abel style, it says that he brought the fat portions. Those are the fattest and the best. They smell amazing when they're cooked on the fire. Just the amazing aroma that comes off at the fattest and the best from the firstborn of his flock. Abel brought the first and the best. I'd rather have him buy me a gift any day than Cain. And you know, I think quality is important. I think quality is important. I hate the idea of make-do, jumble-sale types of Christianity. I hate the idea of people who are half-hearted about church or where the pervading attitude is cheap for church. And that we never do anything really great. It's always make-do. Christian mediocrity stinks. 
and is dishonouring to God, in my view. But I feel it quite strongly. But I don't think, even having said that, I don't think that it was just about quality that mattered to God. Otherwise, he might have said something to Cain like, if only you brought me the right thing. You know, it should have been the lamb. Duh. It's obvious. Why did you bring me weeds? You know, I don't like weeds. Or God could have said, if only you brought me the best of your crop. You know, I really had my eye on those sweet potatoes. They've been maturing so nice. Why didn't you bring me some of them? He could have focused on what they brought, as if God was just being fussy. But it wasn't just about quality, because this is what God actually said to Cain. In verse 6 and 7 of Genesis 4, it says this, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and to master you. If you do what is right, if you do what is right, the emphasis is on the word right. The emphasis is not on what he brought, but that he did what was right. God looked behind the gift. He looked behind the gift to the rightness or the righteousness of the man bringing the gift. He looked behind the gift. He looked right into Cain's heart. And so Hebrews says that by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. So being right is not just about bringing the right gift, but of being of the right heart having the right heart, having the right motivation. You know, there are many people in this world that are more gifted than us. There's many more people more gifted than you and I. Yeah? I certainly think that. There's many others that have bigger or more exciting gifts than mine or yours. But this doesn't mean that their service, think about this, This doesn't mean that their service is necessarily more acceptable to God or that his favour is necessarily with them. It's not about the gift. Be careful of big gifts without the character to back them up. There's an example of this in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Have you ever thought about it? That They brought a very big gift. They brought a very big gift of land, property, money. But it wasn't accepted. Because behind the gift, the heart was one of deception. The heart was not right, so the gift was not accepted, and they paid for it with their lives. God's judgment came upon them. God does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord looks at the heart. And so when Cain and Abel brought their gifts to God on that day, God saw both of them, and he saw that the gifts that they brought, and he compared them. 
He looked at their hearts, he looked at the man, he looked at the gift, and then he made a comparison. Now, we already know about Cain with his bunch of weeds, okay? But when Abel offered his gift to God, it was the first and the best. And God saw that this wasn't just a a wonderful gift and a tremendous picture of all that was to come, the lamb that was slain and all the wonderful symbolism in that of the cross that was to come. Goodness knows how Abel knew how to bring that. Well, I guess it was by faith. (laughs) There's no other explanation. There was no precedent for it. But when God looked at the man and then he looked at the gift, he saw the two things matched. There was an authenticity about the gift and the giver. There was character for the gift and the giver. He saw that that in in Abel was an authentic expression of what he felt and believed about God. When he served God, it, it was with his whole heart. And he was saying, by his act, he was saying that he was, that God was worthy to have the firstborn of his flock. More worthy than Abel was. God deserved it. God has the first and the best. That's my heart. He was saying that God deserved the best of what he had even if it meant that Abel was going to miss out on the tastiest and the best bits of the lamb. His heart was, God, you deserve it all. All the praise is due to you. All the best is due to you. Have the best. Have the first. Have everything. Have the first and the best of me. And so God responds and gives him this incredibly high title in, for the Old Testament, which is confirmed in the New, where he called him a righteous man. And he says, your story is going to speak throughout eternity because of the righteous act that you've performed. Your heart matches your gift. There's an authenticity there. So do you serve God with a right heart? Does it match? Do you serve God? Are you living that way? Are you willing to give to God the first and the best? What about the first and the best years of your life? You say, well, they've already passed, sorry. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. New every morning. That's his faithfulness to us. The first and the best can be the first moment of the day. I'll give you the first and best of the day, Lord. How about giving God the first and the best of your life? Are you willing to give God the first and the best? Are you authentic in your service? Or are you just trying to look good in front of others? We can come up with some showy gifts. Ananias and Sapphira did. Right in front of the whole church. But God knew their hearts. The first and the best, the authentic. And there's some really challenging questions, I think, in this story that we've seen today. And as I said last time and, and at the beginning today, that serving isn't just about what you do at the church. At the church, I'd be quite manipulative of me, of me to stand up and preach a sermon like this, and it's all about the serving rotor. Okay, so would you respond? Here's the serving rotor sign here. <laughs> it's not, genuinely. I want us to be a serving church. That's a serving church. That's the way that we live. It's our culture. It's our thing. It's the way that we are. Jubilee Church are a bunch of servants that love God. 
and we serve people and we serve God. Serving is about your whole life offered up to God for service. Are you living by faith today? Are you serving out of a sense of duty or are you waiting for something? Are you serving at all? The way that you live? Or perhaps you haven't been putting God first recently. The first and the best is actually somewhere near the bottom. It's the last and probably the last possible moment just before I go to sleep. Make the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, thank you, God, worship you. What about your gifts? What about the gifts that God has given you? Are you using them? Are you using them in your job? Do you know, some of us have got wonderful gifts at church, but we leave them behind on a Sunday and we do something completely different on a Monday. I so believe in spiritual gifts in the workplace and serving people too. Or maybe you've stopped offering to God altogether. Maybe you've become disillusioned and withdrawn. And do you know, I just felt today that there was an opportunity today for us to rededicate ourselves to God, to give him the first and the best to ask him for faith and say, Lord, sorry if it's been works, if I've been going through the motions. There's an opportunity today to respond to God. There's a verse that Paul wrote which sums this up beautifully. He says, I urge you, and I do too, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So I just want to invite you simply today to rededicate yourself to God for your whole life serving him. And you might think, I'm doing okay, thanks. Great. Really pleased for you. That's wonderful, genuinely. But I suspect that many of us have been challenged by this message. I know how I have been. And I'm meant to be a professional servant of God in the church. And I was thinking, Lord, I've been doing a bit of works recently. I'm sorry. Even preparing this talk felt like work this week. Yeah? God's on this one. And I believe that's something he wants to do amongst us today. So I just want to invite you to respond to God. And if you're part of the church here, you know that we don't make long, drawn-out appeals. and We don't try and emotionally blackmail people and make them feel bad. This is between you and God. You're not doing it to please me or anybody else in this church. That would kind of go against the message today, okay? So I just want to invite you. We're going to stand together. And I just want to invite you to come forward and respond to God. And just, in your coming forward, and you don't always have to do this, but I think it's one of those today. In coming forward, in standing here, you're saying to God, here I am, 
I'm rededicating myself to you. I'm your servant. Wherever you want me to go. I prayed this this morning, so I didn't have to respond today. (laughs) But this is what I prayed this morning, because I thought, I can't preach this without having responded myself first. Guys, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I said, Lord, I'm just saying to you, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to be, here I am. That's all you're saying. Just come forward now. If that's what you want to say to God, just come forward now. We're not going to make it long and drawn out. I'm not going to ask lots of time. Just simply come across the front here. This is for God, it's not for me.